Welcome to the Hootenanny Down the Hall music podcast from theescapepods.com. Welcome to the Hoot Nanny Down the Hall Music Podcast, brought to you by theescapepods.com. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wedding, and this week we're going to visit with the Sharks, a local Langster PA band from the late 70s up through the 80s, uh, my father's band. Uh, they recently played at the Village in Lancaster uh, right after Thanksgiving 2014, and uh, we're going to start off with one of their older songs called Do You Remember? Do you remember? 
welcome to episode number five, I believe, of the Hoot Nanny Down the Hall Music Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wedding, and today's special guest is Chris Booker! Jumping podcasts from the sailing podcast to the music podcast. Oh man, I'm a jack of all trades. <laughs> I know everything. Podcast king. Yes. <laughs> uh, last night we went to see my dad's band, The Sharks, at the Village in Lancaster. And it was a rocking good show. Um, I did get some audio from In the Crowd that I'm going to be using. And I'm hoping that my dad's going to be able to get me some audio off the soundboard. Oh, good. So we'll see how that works out. Otherwise, yeah. we're going to be stuck with... Uh, the crowd oh, stuff. Well, i definitely use the crowd stuff, but I'll probably end up going back into the regular catalog of, of shark stuff to try and do a little introspective or whatever. But I would like to use some more live, like quality live stuff But yeah, from that show. We'll see. I mean, I kind of envisioned this from the beginning. I wanted to do like the... Sharks podcast, you know what I mean? <laughs> like the entire history and da, 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 yeah, you know? and uh, I don't think that's gonna happen because I don't have six hours worth of <laughs> podcast time to, to devote right, to it, you know what right? Mean? Um, like a Sharks documentary or something, or something. Yeah, that's that's that they were talking about doing that last year. Somebody was, yeah, was talking somebody about could do that. a documentary on yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. It could, it squeeze it into two hours, you know, make it. Uh, oh yeah. Somebody did just interview Shay, uh, Sarah Bozich, I think her name is, up in Harrisburg, like for Penn Live. Oh, yeah. Did like a half hour Shay Quinn interview. It was posted online a couple months ago. It was yeah. pretty cool. I mean, he, he talked about the sharks and he talked about some of the other stuff that he did too. But yes, definitely somebody should, uh, you know, of course, here's the thing, you know, raise your hand who wants to do the sharks documentary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody with documentary experience. And yeah, time and money to, to be able to do it. Right. Um, well, you wonder, the, like, did the guy that did the Chameleon documentary... Right. Did he make any money or any... I mean, it's a rhetorical question, but... Right, right. You know, that... It, it, it was on Amazon and blah, blah, blah and stuff. Right. But, it was on Comcast On Demand for a while. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Yeah, but like how much, you know, there's... How much... You think, you know... I don't think it was a profit. That's one of those things where you like, you got to get funding for it. Right, right. And then, you know, I you know I don't think it's really something that you would right. necessarily put out on a DVD, especially these days. You could just put it on demand, you know, that type of thing. Right. Do a couple, maybe, I mean, if, if you like the way it turns out, you could shop it around to some uh, film festivals and stuff, right. you know, but... I uh, think uh, I don't know what the, his scope was going into it, but I think his scope probably narrowed after he was done. And I mean, I know he did the, the screenings down in Lancaster, right? And and he did the Comcast on demand. And I think there there's a DVD floating around that yeah, you can I know buy. Yeah, it was available on Amazon. Right. So I think he probably did okay as far as like making his money back and, right. and all that kind of stuff. Right. I don't know that it's like a profit center necessarily. No. But I think it, it definitely helped pad his resume. And, yeah, that's know. what I was thinking. Like it could be a resume builder for somebody. Right. I know he works. I forget where he works, but he's in some kind of like video production type multimedia business yeah. or other. Um, Alan Clements' his name, I think. Yeah. Check Alan Clements, yeah. yeah. That was a great documentary. Yeah, somebody somebody should take the time and, and effort to to really do the Sharks documentary because there. I mean, there's things on YouTube and 
there is music out there and, and I did interview my dad for this podcast so I have about half an hour of him and I going through like his arc of how he got started and right. playing and all that kind of stuff cool. and at the end it kind of comes down to so who's going to put the music on iTunes and he's like well <laughs> you know you want to do it go ahead you know <laughs> whoever takes the initiative to get it done you know right right everybody talks a good talk and, and nobody you know everybody's busy everybody's got jobs and families and you know we scared scare together a show once a year maybe right, <laughs> you know right. I mean? <laughs> yeah i mean like i saw those cds uh mm-hmm. on sale last night and uh i mean i don't know you know it's like they just sell them at shows basically right and it's kind of lisa Haldy's the one that sells all the merchandise and she's the one that sold it back in the day like i think she almost had her own side business just selling sharks merchandise. So oh yeah. I think that was. I'm not sure, but it's not like they hired her and paid her to, to sell that stuff. I mean, she got it made, managed it, and sold it. You know what I mean? And gave them their cut, and then whatever was left over was hers. I think. Wow. And she might still be doing the same type of thing because she might be cooking up those CDs herself and the T-shirts and all that kind of stuff. I'm not she sure. She burns them herself. You think? Or get some made somehow. I don't know. Yeah. I, I didn't look to see. I know at one point my dad was doing it years ago. Yeah. And he doesn't do would it now. Would he get like a thousand at a time made or something? No, he would literally sit around and burn, burn them. them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that's a pain. Which is why they would only have 50 or 100 of them to sell. You know, right, you know, at one right. Time. I'm not sure what she's doing with the CDs that she's selling now. But, um, yeah, it would definitely be cool to be able to get online and, and get the music digitally but then you know are we tramping on somebody else's ter- yeah, terrain yeah we, we gotta know what the rights are who has <coughs> who has the rights and get permission and all that right stuff. and that's what I asked him if, if, if they had the rights to everything and, and he said they do but I'm sure they do they have to right especially after this period of time right hopefully I mean at some point they got all the rights back from Electro right right right, right. Yeah. but you, you would have to figure that out and probably make a real business out of trying to sell that stuff. Yeah, know? yeah. It would Just take some effort. Right. But as long as they keep doing shows, you know, it, it's right. worth doing. Right, right, right. And then if, uh, I mean, if you know, with a documentary and stuff like that, I, you know, I think it, it should be done sooner rather than later. later you yeah, know? yeah, Because, I mean, how long are they going to keep doing shows? Shows, exactly. You know? Right. And, and then, uh, you know, Shay could sell them at his shows. And, you know, he plays out a lot with the Love Gods and right. stuff like that. So. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's uh, it could it could it could work. You know, could, it, somebody it, could make it work if they put the time and effort and energy into. I, it. I think there's enough existing footage from back in the day that you could pepper right. in, that, and you would get new interviews. Yeah, you know, do the typical documentary style where you, right. you, you do the interviews and stuff, and, and you'd have to get like maybe line. contact M- MTV and get uh, their uh, permission to use uh, that all that stuff. Right. Well, maybe. Yeah. I mean. I mean, I think, you know, people definitely, I would want to see that. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. You know, I, it was funny. I, yeah, I, I, back in 84, right. I didn't have MTV. Right, you know? right, right, right. I, we just, like, were just a regular antenna TV family. Household, you know? yeah. Yeah. And so I, I didn't witness this whole Sharks phenomenon, you know. And I was, was too young to go to shows and stuff at that point. Because right. I, I, I didn't live in the city or anything. So yeah. it's just, you know, I found out about this whole... Sharks thing later on, but you right. know, um, 
as a music lover, I would I would be interested to 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 hear the whole story and you know, oh, yeah. like how how it got going and all that stuff. I've I've heard bits and pieces, but like one cohesive thing, like you know, with the Chameleon documentary, would be pretty cool. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. It'd be nice to have the whole story kind of nailed down. From right, perspectives. right. You know, and yeah. interview all the band members and stuff like that. Right. It's a shame, that, you know, that the singer is no longer with us. Yeah, so. yeah. Sam is Sam yeah. passed away. I'm sure there's some, yeah. I'm sure there's some there's an archival f- oh, yeah. footage of him and stuff right. that that could be used as well. You know, oh so. definitely. And there's old you know there's clippings, newspaper clippings out there, right? And, you know, right. All that kind of stuff. I'm sure there's more than their fair share of video interviews and yeah from back in the day. And uh, there is some stuff on YouTube, but it, it's cool that when they played the show like last night, and it happens more often than not if they do play, a lot of the old old like support people come out. And you know, like the, the chip is the you know he's the he's the uh, roadie you know he's yeah, been, yeah he's been the sharks roadie since forever and he yeah. still is every show that they show up at you know he's there yeah carting gear and, and doing stuff and hooking things up yeah that's that's great you know attending to them during the show and you know all that kind of and I, I was mentioning earlier that Larry Sadler was there last night I guess he was running I don't know if he was running the sound for the whole thing or if he was just running monitors on the side but. Uh. You know, he was their main sound guy back in the day. I mean, right. I remember hanging out with him at, like, the Metron, just behind the big, huge soundboard they used to have. You know, yeah. I, I didn't feel like dealing with the crowd, so I'd sit up there with him, you know, right. and watch him do what he was doing. And, yeah, there's just, there's people coming out of the woodwork every time they play that, you know, used to do stuff for them way back then. Right, so right, yeah. It's kind of like a family atmosphere every time they get back together to yeah. play, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. And I, I'm sure everybody's, uh, a lot of those people would have something to contribute to, like a documentary. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'm not sure, like I said, I know I heard rumors that they were, somebody was thinking about doing it last time, or like they were going to play in the spring or something, and it just didn't happen. I don't know who that is, but if you're listening, get on it. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Either that or give us some money and we'll do it. Yeah, right. Well, and like I said, this is not going to be the quintessential Sharks podcast, but eh, it'll give you a good enough glimpse into what they were all about and, right, right. and what their music is like. And, you know, I'll probably end up breaking it up into two parts just because, like I said, I have a half an hour with my dad and I got a couple minutes worth of interviews last night just with, like, my cousin and I think Matt Ritter at the end after because he was doing, he was DJing in between and right. before and after the show and I just caught him right at the end. I'm like, what did you think? You know, and I got a couple couple seconds with him and you know, I was hoping to get more interviews with the crowd and that sort of thing and get interviews with more of the guys in the band it's right. just time compresses when you're at the show yeah <laughs> and like by the time you're watching the show you talk to a couple people and bang it's over everybody's leaving and right like, wait a minute you know, what did it stop yeah <laughs> come back I want to interview you you know because <laughs> I was trying to interview Ray and it just didn't work out and I'm hoping to catch up with him maybe next week if I can we'll see I want to try and get this together before Christmas and I want to end it. There's a there's a Jingle Bells version that they did for like a holiday gag track back in the day. That, oh yeah. You know, uh, it's in the there's in a, there's a YouTube video of a of a like a medley of all of Sam's appearances, I guess, uh, that they put out after he passed away. And it's uh, in, some of it's in there, but I want the actual track, the whole thing. You know what I mean? Right, right. Be able to play it at the end. So hopefully that'll all come together and uh, be able to fashion some kind of a podcast out of this that makes some kind of sense. <laughs> and again, like I, I, same thing with like David Ford. 
you know, I want to play some of the seminal tracks so that people know what's going on, but I also don't want to, like, be giving away their music for free and, like, all their songs on the podcast or something like that. So I'm going to have to right. pick and choose, you know, a couple of... Uh, couple of really important tracks and then one of my favorites or something like that. So, you know, we'll probably end up with maybe six or eight songs, something like that. Cool. Half an hour interview with my dad, whatever we're talking about, whatever other kind of in-between stuff I can throw in. So I'll mm-hmm. probably end up breaking it up into like two, two-part, one-hour podcast each, something like that. Sounds good. So that sounds, sounds good. If uh, anyone out there has any, uh, you know, Wanted to get a Kickstarter together or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I've do never it. done the Kickstarter. Do it, yeah. do it, do a Sharks, uh, Sharks documentary. I mean, you know, it could be That's done. the thing about Kickstarter. If like you put one out there and then people give you all this money, right. then it's like then you have to you're do on it. the hook. Yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to do something with that, right? And it better be related to the Sharks. sharks. <laughs> Somehow, yeah. some way, you yeah. gotta get it. Yeah, you're right. just gonna take that money and like uh, go to Vegas or something, you know? <laughs> Buy a bunch of equipment and then not actually produce anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you would have to produce something.
So what was uh, your immediate thoughts last night on the show? It was, thought it was pretty good. It was good. Yeah, it was real good. I think it was the first time I saw uh, Ian. Okay. And right. um, he, he looks a lot like his dad. Yeah. Um, yeah, he does, he does a great job. He's a very easygoing guy, you know, very right. comfortable up there, that type of thing. So, uh, you know, he, he he plays the role very well. You know, it's it's hard to replace, you know, right. yeah, yeah. original guy, you know. So he's just in there. He's like, you know, just this is a paying tribute. To oh, yeah. Dad, you know, it so. was kind of funny because I was listening to those tracks that I recorded live on the way down here. And uh, for like, didn't even think about it, but I was like, wow. Yeah, it sounds just like Sam. Yeah, <laughs> you know and I mean? Shay the whole time was just like this. The, he he sounds great. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, I mean, he was just like this guy is phenomenal. You right. know, and it, he was very grateful for him to to right. to do it and stuff. You right. know, so it, it, you know, it, it was. I mean, I I didn't witness the whole thing firsthand, but it seemed like pretty seamless that he just kind of jumped into that role and said, right. "Yeah, I'll you know I'll sing these songs and stuff, and then play the guitar parts and." And, and, you know, kind of like, you know, I mean, that could be difficult for, for a son to do. Right. Know? And so. I know uh, before Sam passed away, they were playing, they, at that time, they were playing Chameleon like once a year or whatever. And uh, Ian was probably in his late teens, early 20s. And he would come up and sing that You Make Me song with them, like playing the guitar and all that kind oh, of stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Wow. So I think he had kind of an indoctrination into the live being on stage with them, you know what I mean? Where right. he was into that before his dad passed away yeah, to some yeah. degree. And then from there, it's just learning all the songs. And I mean, if you yeah. grew up with them, you know, I kind of joked with my dad. I'm like, well, you know, I'm not picking up the guitar anytime soon and playing all of your guitar parts. So <laughs> don't worry about that. You yeah, know what I mean? But, yeah. uh, you know, I think Ian had more of a uh, musical relationship, you know what I mean? More yeah. raw talent with it and everything else that yeah. he picked it up and, took after it so yeah yeah they do a pretty good job and it, it's kind of eerie sometimes where you're just like ooh that's <laughs> <laughs> weird but, yeah you know this is I think the third show that they've done uh, they did the the original memorial for Sam Sam Fest back in 2010 and they played in Harrisburg I think in 2011 and in 2012 they played at the village um and I don't know if that was for Thanksgiving. I think it was 2013. It was in April. And then uh, it's been like a year and a half. So this is like the third or fourth time that wow. he's played with him. So. It sounds like he's been playing with him for a long time. And I'm not sure. At one time, I think he was kind of doing a side project maybe with Shay or some other guys. You know what I mean? Doing, I, other, doing other music and stuff. So he's probably been around them doing other stuff as yeah. well. So. And it sounds like he... I don't know if he was the... Uh, uh, the catalyst for this, if if, but it sounds like they he he dug up some old songs oh, yeah, that, yeah. that weren't played out very much, and you know just kind of like mm -hmm. maybe presented them to the band and said, hey, do you guys want to play this song? You know, we haven't played it. The Sharks haven't played right. it in a while. You know, yeah. this yeah. is a song that Sam wrote. You know, that type of thing. Right. And they seemed really on board with it, and it sounded they sounded mm -hmm. really good. Oh yeah. Because, yeah, like you said, there was about three or four songs they played last night. I know Fascination was one, of them, was one of them, and I can't remember the names of the other ones, but there was about three or four songs that they played last night that I haven't seen them play 
you know, since 1985 right. <laughs> or 86, you know what I mean? And in previous Shark shows, I like they the, the second set was like all covered. Covered, you know? right. Yeah. And this time they, they, they had a lot of uh, originals in the second set. Yeah. They, they did a lot less covers overall. They still did the U2 because they're really good at that. They, do, yeah. they really do a good in excess. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. I mean? They do the yeah, they do that well. And then they do. Uh, they did Elvis Costello. They did Elvis Costello. Yeah. And uh, they didn't. I don't think they did any Talking Heads this time. Usually they do Talking Heads. I don't, I don't remember hearing that. Talking Heads. No. Um, and then they always do a, a like a medley thing at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of fun. off the cuff type of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 So. They did Red Skies at Night. I don't even know oh, who yeah. sings that. That's uh, is it the Fix? Is it the Fix? Yeah, it might or, be the Fix. It's either the Fix or. Um, uh, the people, guys, do Saved by Zero. Is that the fix? That's the fix. That's yeah. The fix? Okay. Yeah. Or Flock of Seagulls. I can't remember. How. I think it's the fix. fix. Okay. Yeah. 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 It, they they used to do. I mean, back in the day, they used to do them all. I mean, they did. Yeah. Uh, they well, did Simple Minds. They used to do. Um, did they start out as a cover band? Um, I think originally. When you're playing six nights a week. week right. Exactly. <laughs> you need to know. Yeah. That, I mean, that whole thing is just, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's ancient history now. Oh, yeah. But bands, I don't, you know, if you're not aware, bands used to be booked to play a whole week at clubs like The Village, mm-hmm. like, 30 years ago. Right. You know, you would play six nights in a row. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, my dad actually did get into that a little bit, because yeah. I was talking to him about the music union. Like, back in the day, you used to have to be part of the music union, American Federation of Musicians or whatever. Right. In order to even book a gig. Wow. And then you would have to pay your dues, I think, like per show or per gig that you were doing. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So if you were getting 30 bucks a night to play, you know, you were sending them five bucks every time or whatever. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he said that that only lasted up through like the 70s. Like by the time the late 70s rolled around, you know, that was kind of going out of fashion. And right. And nobody was really paying attention to it. But yeah. Definitely the, the six and seven nights a week at a, at a bar. One you know club. I mean? yeah. yeah. And sometimes they would, they would be doing three sets a night or, you know. Right. They would yeah. do an all ages night. I know later on they were doing all ages night, like from seven o'clock to 10 o'clock. They'd kick everybody out and then they'd play to the 21, the over 21 crowd. Late really? Night, you know, like on wow. a Wednesday night or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're playing. How many all ages shows did they do back in the day? They used to do, I would say they would do one like once a quarter, just about, like once really? every three months. Because I would, especially in, in Reading, they would do a lot of them up in Reading at the Silo. Silo, right. And some of them were like on Sunday nights. But they would do like the occasional like Wednesday night at the village at like six, especially during the summer. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Where they would go on at like seven or eight o'clock at night. Something Did they like ever that. do like any like VFW shows or something like that where they would do uh, like a Knights of Columbus thing, which I don't know if that's a Pennsylvania thing or American. Yeah, I mean maybe early on. I mean, no, early on they played a lot for colleges and stuff. They used to do frat parties. Oh yeah. Like, way early on, and there was when I was a DJ at Millersville, uh, we actually dug up some old snappers from back in the day, like in '79. They were like on a flatbed trailer in like a field somewhere, uh, yeah. at, at like a keg stand or something. You know, yeah, yeah. Doing a frat party or something like that. Wow. You know what I mean, there's some pretty, pretty, uh, pretty cool shots, uh, pictures of like Dave Schaefer was the original bass player, like the four of them playing. 
or they would play at the, you know, whatever the auditorium was. Uh-huh. And I know they'd play, I mean, I saw them many times over at F&M, like in the gymnasium and stuff. Uh, yeah. Even when they were bigger, they would still be doing that. Yeah. Uh, I remember seeing them all ages um, at like the Kutztown Fair. Right. Or Effort Affair or Downtown Lancaster or something like that. Yeah. I know they played, uh, <clears throat> I think this was after my dad got out of it, but they were playing, they did like a couple proms. Oh, uh, yeah. You know what I mean? For like bigger high schools around town. Uh-huh. But yeah, I saw them in, in all ages clubs, like in Lancaster, Lebanon, Reading, like Allentown. Like, you know, my dad would, would he'd call me up and hey, we're playing... You know, whatever night it is, the all ages thing. Do you want to come? I'm like, sure. You know, why not? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, check it out. And uh, so, yeah, I definitely spent a lot of time up at like the silo. That was like one of the bigger places, right? That they would do. And uh, I remember in later years, like, I one of the last shows they played as the Sharks was at the silo, and I was there. It was like in 1990, I think. Oh yeah. That was you know years after my dad got out of it, but. I remember Sam coming over and talking to me and stuff like that. You know, yeah. how you doing? You know, all this kind of stuff. Right, right. So it was, it was kind of, it was weird because they were like doing a whole different dynamic by that point. Oh, really? Yeah, they had uh, like two, like Shay had left, the guy that plays my dad had left, and you know, they had gone through a bunch of different changes. Oh. Uh, they ended up with these like two brothers that were like these real hard rock guys with like the long hair and the uh, yeah. turquoise rings and you know. So it was mean? like Sam and... Uh, these two the, guys and then uh, Doug and then the... the Keyboard is Marco. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like this bastardized version of <laughs> what I remembered, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you got to realize at the time, it was like that was the big thing, you know. Poison was huge. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hair metal. Guns and Roses, hair metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. everywhere. And, uh, you know, they're at that point 10, 12 years removed from the new wave scene that they started out in, you know? Right, what I mean? right, yeah. So yeah. I think that just kind of helped. End it, you know. What I mean, they were getting so far away from where they started that it was like, okay, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. I mean, if yeah, I mean, I, I didn't witness it, but you know, I, I've seen it with other bands where they kind of become a parody of themselves, right? You know? Exactly, yeah. So, and that's what you know, my dad said, and you'll hear it is you know, basically when things start falling apart, everybody starts pointing fingers at everybody, and, yeah, you know, and all that kind of stuff, yeah. And that's why for 10, 10 years after they broke up, like. Nobody was talking. Nobody to each was other. talking to each other. Nobody, right. you know what I mean. And he said, once they got past that hump, and they got everybody in a room, and they started playing music again, it was like all that just melted away. Right. You know right. what I mean? They're just yeah. back to doing what but they were doing. But you needed that time and space in order for that to happen. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. So I think yeah. you know my dad got out of it in '86, and uh, they got uh, a guy named Roger to come in, and he was it, went, it was kind of at Sam Fest back in 2010 at the Chameleon after Sam passed away. Uh huh. I think they just kind of threw it together as like a loose memorial to Sam. Right. And uh, they weren't really sure what was going to happen. Like, Ian was going to come up and sing a couple songs. Right. Well, he ended up coming up and singing most of the songs. Oh, really? <laughs> like, they didn't really know that he, he could do it, I guess. You know, he's uh, like, oh, I got this, you know, no problem. But they brought Roger in, the other guitarist. He uh, was up for a couple songs. They brought... Yeah. Uh, Dave Schaefer, the old bass player, up to play a couple songs. You know, right. I mean? at one point they were all on stage. There was like seven guys on stage, right? You right. know, doing a song or whatever. Yeah, and that was pretty. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So, at least you, you know everything's been healed before. You know, 
it got too late kind of thing. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. So, but it, you know, it's, it, sometimes it takes like a tragedy, like uh, like Sam's passing, to, for to kind of facilitate right, these things. Right, right. And luckily, it happened ten years before that. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. It's good that they got back together and started yeah. doing reunion shows. Uh, I'm sure. Obviously, there was a demand out there for it yeah. because they would be packing clubs like right. uh, every every year, every time.
time they kind of got to the critical stage again where they were like, okay, now should we be thinking about doing new material and putting out a new CD and right. kind of getting all back into the whole band thing again? Yeah. And I think it was probably a conscious decision that, eh, you know, I don't think we have that in us anymore. Like I said, they've all got jobs and families right. and, you know, the whole nine yards. Yeah, yeah. So I think they toyed around with writing some new stuff at one point. And they may have, but it didn't really go anywhere. So now yeah. it was just nice that they were able to pull out four or five of their old tracks that they never really played that much. Right. You know, during, because during the reunion, it was, I saw enough of them where I was like, okay, they're doing the exact same set almost yeah. that they did yeah. last year or yeah. whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it was nice to see this year where they changed it up a little bit. Right. So, right. And that they were able to, to gel behind those songs that they nobody's played for 20 years. You know what right. I mean? Right. Right. So. Yeah, it was pretty good. And the crowd was getting into it last day. It wasn't sold out necessarily to the point where I've seen it packed before. Right. But, I mean, there was, what, 200 people there at least? Oh, more. I would say more. Three. Although I guess I'm not as good of a judge as I used to be, especially <laughs> at the, the village. The village. The village is kind of wide open space, so it's... Yeah. I would say, uh, I would say three, 350. Yeah. yeah, 400. So, I mean, you're, you're packing 350, 400 people into a club 30 years after. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think you're doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, this, it, these things kind of take on a, a life of their own, you know, where it's like, uh, it, it's, you know, especially like the, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Right, it's right, one right. of those things where it, it's, uh, you know... You could. It's a nostalgic, you know, time like where right. you're you're visiting from out of town. You know, you grew up see in Lancaster. Yeah, you see old friends, or you know, you you um, kind of you know relive the your younger yeah. days or whatever. Right. You know, so it, it's a perfect time to do it. I think yeah. is is. Uh, I was I, I mentioned to you before. It's like it seems as though like. Every every town, every city seems to have like the reunion show <laughs> yeah. this time of year. This time of year, know? right? In Annapolis, it was Laughing Colors, right? You know? Up in Reading, they just did Frankphobia. Yeah, they just Anthrophobia, yeah, Anthrophobia, Founding Fathers, Fathers right? Yeah, which is classic Frankphobia, Phobia, yeah, right? Yeah, to call it that. But yeah, you know, it's just like uh, it's that it's that time of year where it's it's a good time <laughs> if you're in a band and you had a following, like I know Coloring Lesson. Uh, uh, who was on Foul Records? I used to work with. Uh, yeah. They they would do. They try to do a show around Christmas time every year because, I mean, their singer is in Florida now. Right. Yeah. Know? So, he, but he, you know, he comes up to visit family and family, they get together right. and do a show and it's it's always a good time. A lot of people come yeah. out. So it's you know I, I think it's a good thing. It's it's uh, uh you know it's 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 a worthwhile thing to Endeavor, do for, yeah, yeah. for bands to well, get back together and. and Hopefully, I mean, hopefully the hatchet's been buried by now, you know. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, but you know, bands are in various states of uh, right, right. Um, existence, you know. Right. You know, it, it, sometimes it, this could be like the first time that they got back together in a while. Right, right, you right. Know? So. Well, I just know from like digging, I've been digging through the tapes in my basement and putting up uh, like the compilation CD or compilation tape that I put together in 1995 for my magazine. Right. Or the stuff that I was playing on my radio shows. Like, it's kind of funny because some of these bands have, like, literally no trace that they ever existed. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like, you get online, you start Googling, and you're not really finding a whole lot. You yeah, know I mean? yeah. And it's just, 
nobody's going to remember any of these bands except for the people that were in them. You know what I mean? And maybe right. their fan, a couple of close fans or whatever. Right, right. Until somebody starts digging these things up and then maybe people start talking about it or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, it would be nice to have just a Sharks documentary, but it would also be nice to have like a, you know, Lancaster, York, Harrisburg kind of, you know, this is what's happened since like the 60s or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like rock and roll. Yeah. Just to get it down. You know what I mean? Even if it's yeah. on paper or something, you'd just be like, you know, all right, these are the bands that, that came before, you know, right, that came right. up. Because you talk about the Sharks, I mean, you can't talk about the Sharks without talking like the Press Club and whatever, AR-50, like all these other local bands that were around at the time. Yeah. You know, that were trying, struggling, trying to make a scene together. Right. Yeah, I think it, uh, it, it it's better, um, I, I don't know, no, you, 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 you want to be careful with that mm -hmm. in sense like I mean you really have to focus in on like you have to have a focal point focal point right, yeah. right, right, right. and I think the sharks are a good one you good know? one yeah because they have like they have the rise the fall you know the, right. you know I, I'm learning about like the the infighting and stuff like that that, right. that caused some guys to leave the band you know right, right, right. that type of thing which which is I mean like it creates a good documentary because it's, there's drama. Right, yeah. yeah. It's, it's the so, VH1 rockumentary. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Totally. And that's what they always focus on behind right, the right. music, you know. Yeah. And it's, it, but, uh, of course, you 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 look at like uh, what uh, Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters are doing with Sonic Sonic yeah, Highways. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that is a great great uh, little mini series. Oh yeah, you know? that would be. But he's focused. He his focal point is the town. Right, you know? right. I think maybe if you focused on Lancaster, because Lancaster did have a scene, you know, right, what I mean? right, right. it was and it was getting national attention, you know, right, it, right, it right. was based around like live and suddenly mm -hmm. Tammy and uh, and all and the ocean blue and all that stuff that was happening right. like late eighties, early nineties. Right, 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 right. That's something I think you could focus on. You don't want right. to make it too nebulous. You right, know? right, 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 right. So, but yeah, that that could work. That could definitely work. That's another document. Oh yeah, we're just so, right. we're just making documentaries yeah. left yeah. and right here. That's it. If this first one works, we'll do a second. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. All right, so uh, we're gonna get into uh, like I said, I did a little interview with my dad, uh, Steve Zier, the lead guitarist of the Sharks, and uh, we'll get into a couple of the live tracks from the Village for for sure, and then uh, we'll see what happens after that. I'll have to uh, see what I can find as far as. Uh, Good digital copies of uh, old music that they did, and see if yeah. we can get anything from the concert. Uh, if you can get uh, board tapes these days, are you know from the sound? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They are. They they got to be like the high highest quality you can find. Oh yeah, you, you know? stick a digital recorder right into the live feed. Yeah, and you're yeah, done, you know yeah, I mean? exactly. So, and I, I saw somebody had a camera there. I saw a video camera. Right, there, there was a camera there, there. and uh, so we'll find out what we can what we can put together here for the rest of the podcast, but. For now, I'm your host, Jeffrey Wedding. I'm Chris Smoker. And uh, rock on. We'll catch you later. I'm not afraid to say this time is not, not yours, it may not all
Story about how you used to drum to the sharks. Oh yeah, I know all the sharks tunes. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember when I was when I was playing like 13, you had a drum set. Oh yeah. And uh, you had the sharks albums out. Did you hear me playing to the sharks? You were playing along with them. Yeah, yeah. What was your favorite song? On my own. Yeah. 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 Our holiday. I mean, there were three on that album. All three of them were perfect. There was like two on side. You know the sharks album. The First, I don't know how many albums they have, but the first one, yeah, yeah. there's two songs inside one and one song inside two. I think it was called Holiday. Holiday. Yeah. And I played all three. I'm a drummer, so I played all three of them. 
So I used to call him over and I used to play him and I said, look, if anything ever goes wrong with Doug Phillips, <laughs> let me know because I can sit in there. I know all their songs. I can play any go up there right now and play any one of them. <laughs> but they've never called me up, oh, damn, damn it. it. Uh, damn it. I'm waiting. waiting for when I was in high school. Well, I was going to say, you never saw them until when? They the started reunions. doing the reunions. Well, how, how old are you? I'm 46. I'm I mean, 47. They were around when you... I know. Yeah. I know. I mean, yeah. but like... You know, we didn't have cable when I was in high school. I didn't I, know about we, the MTV basement tapes or anything I never like had that. cable either. Right. I went down to uh, the East Town Mall in the record store, and I said, you have the Sharks? He said, yeah, I only have one Sharks album. Do they have more than one? They had like two or okay. three at the time, yeah. So I only have one at home. I still have it. I know exactly where it's at. Yeah. And from time to time, about once every two years, I'll pull it out, and I'll put it on the turntable that I still yeah, have right, right, next right. to the truck tape player. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll play to all three songs. Yeah, yeah. I will. Seriously. I'm not lying. You come down, I'll show you the 8-track tape player and the turntable. <laughs> I still have them both. I had the Beatles on 8-track. I have Alice Cooper on 8-track. Led Zeppelin on 8-track and the Beach Boys on 8-track. There you go. Sweet. My dad had an 8-track player, but I don't know what happened to that. Yeah. As soon as you get into the song, you have to wait because it comes down, yeah, clicks, yeah, yeah. and comes and back up next. again. Yeah. yeah. Well, my, my mom had one, too. My dad had an 8-track player in his 1976 Volkswagen bus. There you go. Nice. And he had to order 8-tracks off Columbia House. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Special. Yeah. Remember had, we had the Fame soundtrack and the Footloose soundtrack. Right, right, right. right. My mom things. played the shit out of um, the uh, Staying Alive Be- oh, Bee Gees yeah. yeah. Saturday yeah. Night and then, Fever. Because he couldn't get 8-tracks anymore, he had to get a converter so he could play regular cassette tapes. Yeah. You, you remember... When you had eight tracks in your car, you had this big damn case that took up the whole freaking seat because eight <laughs> tracks were so damn big. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. Well, I got her a record player last year for her birthday, and I just dug out all my records, and there's no sharks in it anywhere. I, I have the records got I have, to. Really? I have yeah. six cases of albums. Do you have sharks on anything else? They never. No, I was looking. Did they ever press any CDs or anything? No. Well, oh, just the ones they sell here. CDs. You know what I mean? Not oh, yeah. today. Maybe before the CDs. So, but we were talking Thursday night, I, my dad, because I said, has anyone ever thought about putting it on iTunes or whatever? And he's like, yeah, we're just so busy and nobody really wants to take responsibility oh, for it. I said, well, maybe I'll do it, you know. Stolfoos <laughs> Records to the yeah, rescue! Yeah, yeah, right. Thank you. 
right. So I'm here with my father, Steve Wedig, otherwise known as Steve Zero. That's right. <laughs> Lead guitarist for the Sharks. And you're playing Saturday night at the Village. Yes. Uh, how many times is this like number 20 reunion show you guys have done? We started in 99. 99 was the first reunion. And uh, that, was a, that was kind of a, a milestone because a lot of... Couple of guys, three of the guys didn't like each other very much. Right, and uh, it took a quite a bit of swindling to get them to to forgive each other. Right, enough to get in the same room and yeah, do all but that once stuff. they were all in the same room, it took about five minutes for all that to melt away. Right, right, right. And it was uh, just like, easy after that, just like the old days. Oh yeah, well right. no, the old days <laughs> there was there was a lot of tension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, the new old days. trying to make it big yeah, yeah. always causes a bunch of right. tension. So. So, you started playing guitar when you were, I think, what, 13. 13, and self-taught most of the time, and you had some yeah, I took a couple lessons, and that was about it, but basically I learned by playing by ear and watching people uh-huh. play. Do you and think you had an innate talent for it, or like what separated you from the, every other 13-year-old that picked up a guitar? <laughs> well, I, I got my guitar in December of 63, and uh-huh. February of 64, the Beatles were on TV. Okay. And you saw them playing in front of uh, 2,000 screaming girls and there were four guys <laughs> on stage. So that sort of was a, a motivation to... <laughs> the impetus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plus it was interesting. It was... I played clarinet when I was a kid and that was uh-huh. about the most boring thing you could do. But <laughs> playing guitar, it took some dexterity uh-huh. and just... You know, it was like intriguing to me. That's probably why. Yeah. Did you get into organized band at school or anything, like marching band or anything like that? I was in a district band uh-huh. with playing clarinet, uh-huh. and that was playing about four notes and then stopping <laughs> and playing another four notes and stopping. And right, right. It was bad. So no, like, jazz band or anything like that? Oh, no. No. No, my dad, uh, your grandfather, yeah, yeah. Um, was... Uh, instrumental in getting my brother and I, mm-hmm. your uncle and me, to play, to take lessons. Okay. And he wanted us to play, because he played accordion, and he wanted two accompanists to be with him when he played. Oh, I got you. So it got to be, uh, <laughs> when he threw parties, that's what we did. We played and got quarters thrown out. Parade out into the living room, yeah. and here you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Start playing the clarinet for his kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what, uh, as far as, like, the first band, like, official band type of thing did you have like an aspiration to get into a band or i always wanted to be a part of a band you know yeah. not necessarily be uh the center of attention but right just like the idea of being able to create music with a bunch of guys you know and i was uh i got in a, our first first band was a bunch of guys i knew it in junior high school okay we watched the monkeys on tv and <laughs> And we go downstairs and try and play like them. And it was a disaster because nobody could play. We didn't have a drummer, and when we did find a drummer, he was he was terrible. So that band was called the Revolvers, and we never played anywhere except my basement. So right. that ended that. Then I got in a band with a neighbor guy who lived up the street. He was in a band called the Embers, and he knew I could play. And you know, after a number of years, mm. I was probably. 16 when I started playing with his band and they were all older guys you know uh, they were all into drinking and oh, right. you know and it was uh, it was uh, it was quite the experience for me we were playing frat parties and 
and there was a beer all over the place. Here I am, 16, 16 17 year old, yeah. playing with a bunch of drunks. And <laughs> I got my first taste of rock and roll. Yeah, right. Not so great. No. After, but it prepared you, I guess, for what was to come later. Well, it's <laughs> like, you know, it's always an experience trying to yeah. to get people to to rehearse and learn songs and then go out and play and actually pull it off. It was was is an amazing. Right uh, thing to happen, so it was kind of it was kind of neat to see it all come. Take together. it seriously. Yeah, well, I don't think anybody took it real <coughs> seriously, but you know they, they didn't want to be embarrassed on stage, so right didn't want to. We had to rehearse somewhat. Right. <laughs> so then what? That was through high school, I guess. High school, I played in a band called the Embers, and then after that, it was Valerie and the Chateaus, and then it was Custer's last band, which was a huge, right. ten-piece band. Four, uh, four basic guys, three horns, and three singers. So wow. we never made any money, but we had right. a lot of fun. <laughs> Create. We got, we were really popular. We yeah. we cut a record, and uh, we almost had a, a record deal, but it, it didn't go through because we were just part time right. guys. So they weren't interested in us. How old were you for that? Like nineteen? Uh, no, not quite. I was seventeen. I was in high school. Okay. Uh, right out of high school, nineteen. Yeah. Years old, yeah, you're right. 1969 and through 1970, I was playing in that band. So and you guys played like the big show at Long's Park. I remember hearing about. Oh, uh, we did numbers. Yeah, we did one show. We did a whole Beatles, an hour's Beatles set, and dressed up in tux, tuxes. <laughs> I mean, it was a, it was an absurd show, but you know, it was really cool because it was right. at night, and uh, yeah. you know, it was just a nice, nice. Uh, Nice job to play in front of all, a bunch of people. Now, when you played with those guys for the reunion back in, like, 96 or whatever. Uh, yeah. I mean, were those the songs that you started yeah. out playing? Oh, yeah. The soul and all that oh, kind yeah. of stuff? All Philly soul stuff and yeah. and uh, stuff like that. You know, right. it was uh, we did Three Dog Night. We did Chicago. So it was like a rock and soul type band. It wasn't strictly just soul right. type stuff. But it was a interesting mix of, of stuff. Were you you said about almost having like a record thing, but it was part time? And were you conscious of like that was the goal, or you were just having fun yeah. playing? Or well, the, uh, I was always interested in writing music and okay. of some sort, but I couldn't write lyrics. So huh. I wrote some music, and the, the one singer in the band uh, he liked the tune, so he wrote some words to it, okay. and we wound up writing a couple songs, and it, we we wound up actually recording them, and somebody from New York. Uh, uh, want taking interest in us, okay, but it only went that far because we weren't ready to tour. We right, were just right, a right. bunch of working stiffs, right? We didn't really have that in our goal, so and it wasn't the digital age, you couldn't just rip no. off a bunch of CDs or no, anything. there were no CDs, all records, right? All and all vinyl, even back then. I mean, it was a whole different thing as far as playing. I mean, there was like a music union and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, they had a mu uh, every time, everywhere we played. A rep from the uh, local union would come. If we play in York, which uh -huh. is outside of Lancaster, we'd have to pay dues. Oh wow! Up, up for the privilege of playing in York, right? And it was all ridiculous. You know, it was like payola. Almost. It was ridiculous. Yeah, because I, from what I, I remember, managing the incoherence. I mean, we would just play. No, like union. What are you talking about? Because when I first got into it, I didn't know. And I'm like, well, I just remember. Yeah. You know, there was this union yeah. you had to belong to, and yeah. all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And they're like, ah, what are you talking about? That's right. <laughs> it's, it was just a weird situation because and, you didn't get anything out of it. Right. You know, I mean, you didn't get, you got no monetary thing. The only thing you were guaranteed was a, a wage, which we 
Yeah. You know, we we were making far above the, the average wage of a, uh, a union musician anyhow, so right, right, right. it didn't matter, so it was just a it's kind of running joke all the time. Right. Now that would that last through up the eighties, did you have to worry no, about that? No, it only lasted till like the mid seventies and it it disappeared. All I don't right. know whatever happened to the American Federation of Musicians. Yeah, right. It was, it was just a, a lost cause. <laughs> it just faded away. Yeah. So then I remember like we were just talking upstairs about being in the like Neffsville Community Park at night, you were playing in different bands, mm-hmm. uh, and they were like more like rock bands, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I play. I didn't play in any rock bands until really. In fact, I never played in a real rock band. Uh-huh. Um, I always played in uh, pop music type soul bands. Right. But I never did any stuff hard stuff like Led Zeppelin or Ozzy Osbourne. I never did any hard rock music at all. I was always into the the soul music, the more stuff. funk, not funk, funk, but you know, funky, yeah, yeah. soul, grooving type stuff, semi rock really. stuff. You know, yeah. wasn't really the hard stuff. But I mean, is that what you were listening to no. personally, or no? What? No, I was just trying to learn how to play guitar, so I'd listen to all kind of people. Right. Even in the seventies, I was, you know, I just learned the songs that we were doing uh-huh. and found out how to play them. Right. Just by just woodshedding them, taking them out back and. <laughs> locking myself in a shed and, and learning how to how to play right, the right. parts, you know, and so I was somewhat successful. I wasn't right, right, right. You know, so how did uh, you transition then? Like the Sharks would have just been the next band you were going to be in for whatever well, reason. Later in the seventies, like the mid seventies into seventy nine or eight, uh, where disco music was big. So I was I was playing in uh, a local band that had, we played. We wore sequin jumpsuits. <laughs> And uh, did the pea soup music. It right. sounds like pea soup, pea right. soup, pea soup. Right. So it was all disco, dance music type stuff. And it was very, it was fashionable stuff to do back then. Because you know, there right. was nothing, nobody exactly knew what was coming after that. Because it was, uh, right. the only things that were happening were was disco. And right. it was John Revolta or John, <laughs> you know, Saturday Night Fever. Fever right. You know, all that kind of stuff was... That was the hot stuff, and right. and I had no, you know, and I I played in a band for that in, in in that style for a while, but then that ended, and I wasn't I wasn't playing for about six months before. Oh yeah, I got contacted by our drummer, uh-huh. our the Sharks drummer, Doug. Doug to yeah. uh, he's thinking about getting a band up, playing new wave music, and I just said yeah because I didn't know what the heck he was talking about, right? Because right. I never heard of it before, right? You know, I didn't know what he was talking about. Because I, ne- I I never heard of Elvis Costello, right? Or the U or U two or right? Talking Heads, you know? I, what the heck are they? You know? Yeah, yeah. But once I got we got into it, we knew it was uh, right. something that people were really intrigued uh, to hear. Did you know Doug from before, or just kind oh, of from being around the scene? In the soul bands, the custom, uh, the one of the bands I played in in the seventies, uh-huh. Doug was an up and coming drummer. Okay, and he was actually. Uh, the light boy for one of our bands. He ran little tiki lights. Oh, really? <laughs> he ran, you know, push buttons to let the lights it's go on and off. Right, right, right. So he was, you know, and, and he idolized the drummer that I was playing with at the time. Uh-huh. And uh, so he started playing drums, and that was way back in the mid-70s. So. Wow. Yeah, we go back quite a right. ways. Yeah. So when did, uh, like, what was your first, when you first got into playing that kind of music? I mean, uh you didn't write your own stuff in that style for a while, I would imagine. No, we we were together for probably maybe three months, uh-huh. and we just Sam, our singer, started 
say, hey, let's write a song. Or you know, right. he had some. He was good at writing words, and he had ideas for music. So okay. he'd come to rehearsal, and we'd start learning these simple songs that he was writing. So right, right. it just clicked. You know, it was like, wow, let's make this. Uh, we can make this sound pretty good. So right, right. That's basically where it started. We didn't really wait too long before we wrote songs, and yeah, and we knew right then that something was really cool. You know, because people were really. You know, we we play a cover tune and then we go right into one of our songs, and, and they'd still keep dancing and clapping. So right, we right. knew we were doing something right. So well, that's good. Yeah. What uh, was there a point where you just like this is a little different than the rest of the bands? I mean, this is kind of garnering more attention or anything like that. Well, you know, for Lancaster, yeah. anything other than what's going on at the time <laughs> is ultra radical. <laughs> right, right, right. So, you know, I didn't know what the music was because it was all British invasion stuff. You know, yeah, it was yeah. all. Stuff was coming over from right. from England, you know, and it was like people, the younger crowd. I was thirty at the time I got in the band, so right. there were younger, a lot younger than me that were into this new wave type music, you know. Right, right. And I had, like I said, I played so many styles of music, I didn't know what this was. So right, but it was cool because people loved it. Right, and we were getting more crowds every time we played, and I knew there's something going on here because. Yeah, you know, it was just different music. It was different, and mostly a generational thing. Yeah, yeah. when generation starts changing, yeah, they have their own music. Right, right. You know, whether it's grunge or, or whatever. whatever it is. You know, everybody's every generation has their music, and this was the the next thing that was coming out. So. Right.
So, at what point did like I mean, like you said, you started chasing the the record deal or chasing the kind of getting out of what you were doing right locally and trying to to go bigger yeah. with it. I mean, that's like the next logical step, I guess. Yeah, but. we 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 had, you know, everybody's got every musician. I don't care who they are. Right. They always they all have plans or dreams of doing something bigger. Right. Right. But you know, we had no idea what the music business was like because oh, yeah. uh, we found out pretty quick. So. You yeah. know, there's all kind of shysters out there. People <laughs> take your money and and right. run and stuff. So we we basically did our own thing for the whole time until we were in that MTV basement tape thing. Right. And we were writing, we were recording our own our own stuff. We had records out. Right. EPs, four song EPs, singles. Right. Uh, uh, vinyl. Yeah, vinyl. And uh, we had a full length live album at the village a full-length live album that we've recorded in philly right so we were basically financing our own stuff and that's how they were doing it back then well and you were playing 28 nights a month oh it was ridiculous you would do seven night stands at bars oh six nights at the village right which they don't do that at stuff anymore anyway we were working all the time and uh it just made us better band well, you just keep All playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you can't help but either get better or, right. or you know, there's something wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, and at one point, I remember you guys went to Bermuda for like, what, six yeah. weeks or something six like that? Six weeks. It was, uh, played at a club in Baltimore one night, and there was a uh, rep from one of the clubs in uh-huh. Bermuda that goes around looking at bands right. in, in Baltimore, especially because it's closer to Bermuda. But right, right. he saw us and offered us six weeks in Bermuda and we thought we were thought something was really weird because <laughs> we had to check the guy out first oh yeah because we didn't really believe him but right. it turned out to be true so it was a good that was a great experience we wrote some songs there too and right it was just uh, easy money right right played five nights a week and had all the time in the world right to, to you know goof off but. do you remember how you guys got into the the basement tapes thing like yeah right when we came back from Bermuda we were thinking about getting the keyboard guy Okay. But we didn't really get one at that right when we came back. That was about June of 1984. Right. And then uh, we decided we were going to go to Philly and record three of our good songs, which uh, was On My Own Holiday and Again and Again. Right. And we recorded that with a keyboard guy that was really good. He was a local guy, played in a band. Mm -hmm. And... I just opened our eyes to the way you know it sounded, so we right. decided to get uh, uh, Mark Showers. Right, was our key, he became our keyboard guy because he hated the band. <laughs> he hated the band, and I was playing keyboards and playing guitar. Right, and he probably saw us play and thought, "Man, I could do ten times better." Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah, because I don't know how to play keyboards. I was right. just playing by <laughs> ear. That's right, all right. I was doing. So we got the got that keyboard guy, and then. We decided we heard about the basement tapes because it had been going on for right. about a year or so before we decided to actually submit something. So right. then we we wrote up a script which was real simple. Right. We hired two local guys, kids that were started their own video company. Right, right, right. It all fell into place. It was like I mean the the video turned out wonderful. Right. It was a story. It wasn't just stage performance. Right, right, right. So everybody kind of liked the whole thing, and we submitted it, and we got we heard back from them right away. Yeah. So they knew it was good. We knew it was good enough to be right, right, right. in that contest. So right. It worked out great that yeah. way it did. And then it, it won, I guess. Well, we won a, a regional, yeah. which they had six regionals. Okay. And we won one of the regionals. So we were up against five other bands I in the you. finals. 
in 1986. Right. And then uh, that was early 86, and we happened to win. I don't know. It was just... Uh, a lot of phone things. calls. Oh, it was a lot, <laughs> yeah, because I have a video. I have a DVD of, of you know of the of the taped show where we of the finals. Yeah, yeah. And it showed call this number one eight hundred blah 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 MTV. Uh, your phone bill will be charged fifty cents. That's right. right. <laughs> so <laughs> you had to pay fifty cents for every call, <laughs> which you know we don't have cell phones back then. So right, right, right. So it was uh, phone company was making money. Oh yeah, they were making money. Yeah. guys won that and then 
that got you in, kind of in the door with Electra Records. Well, you, the, the the prize was a, a recording contract with Electra, oh. a four song EP right. with Electra Records. We won a a major budget video and yeah. a recording studio. Right, right. So right. we got all that stuff, and we, you know, it, the major video was filmed in Times Square in the middle of February. Right, right, right. And it was like minus five degrees outside. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing that. With it was a, it's a weird kind of video if you watch it because it's stop. Mo it's not stop motion, but it's time it's like lapse. The time lapse. Yeah, it was kind of a strange. And you guys, what, you just showed up in Times Square and said, here. It's weird. Where? I mean, you couldn't do that today. I mean, right. we just pulled up in our van. <laughs> Got and, out. And, and uh, yeah, and the film crew was there. And we, we staked out right in the middle of Times Square on one of those triangular island things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we started filming. I mean, try that today. You get arrested <laughs> by the Homeland Security. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's like, holy cow, I couldn't believe we were doing that. Right, right. But that was, that was kind of neat. I mean, you couldn't do that today. Right, right.
And then, did you do a video for Holiday? I remember there was we another did. video. It was some local guy from Reading. Okay. Wanted to film us on a video. It was the most bogus thing you could ever imagine. <laughs> I mean, it was just, just, I mean, an average guy's home video would make this look like a, an Academy Award. World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, uh, it was terrible. I don't even know what happened to that. Somebody's got a copy somewhere. Yeah, there you I go. I don't know what it is. Right. I remember seeing it once or twice. You know what I mean? One of yeah, those kind of things. I do too. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, you guys went out and made that EP, kind of made a run at the national scene. Well, it's it's kind of a, you know, when you're on the other side, when we're in the inside of this looking outside, yeah. it's a lot different than people thinking what really happened. Because, right. you know, as soon as we won the contest, our so-called lawyer called Electra and told them, you know, that we, you know, ready to sign a contract. And they didn't know what he's talking about because they, they didn't know anything about it. Oh, jeez. So we got, <laughs> we were automatically, our bubble was burst. Right. At that very moment, we yeah. knew something was up. You right. Know? that they didn't want to fess up to having a contract with some band that won a contest. That's right, right. So ultimately they had to they had to pay for it. So right, that's right. what happened. We recorded in New York and they assigned us a uh, a producer had no idea right what we sounded like. He had no idea what we what we were about. About right. And the and the E P that we recorded sounded very bland. Yeah. And people just didn't they didn't take to it at all. So right. it was kind of a uh, a negative thing. Right, right. So right. And after that, they uh, the record label dropped us because they weren't even interested in right. in the whole thing. So it kind of was not a. It's in like hindsight, it wasn't a good move. It was like a double edged sword. It know? was yeah. like you might have gone yeah further if yeah. you never would have submitted for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because Electra had at that time they had like ten artists. They had to pick two, two yeah. in order to back because every time a, a record label backs a, an artist, they got. They basically put a couple million bucks beside yeah, yeah. for production, for advertisement, for right. you know just uh, marketing. Right. And they only had two to pick, and we weren't one of the two, so it right. just worked out that. Uh, they, well, they, this... one of them was Anita Baker, okay. and the other one was Natalie Merchant. Oh, really? So those two went on to be. be yeah, yeah, yeah. Shows what happens. Well, I was going to say, and, and this is before really like the independent record yeah. label movement. Like oh, you yeah. had to deal with the major. You oh, weren't yeah. going anywhere. That's what the thinking was at the time. Yeah. And probably about a few years, a few years after that, that's what started happening. Right. People started getting, bands started doing their own thing. And, right. And, and selling their own records. And then iTunes came around and right. all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's changed tremendously since then. <laughs>
What was your, and I've always thought about this just kind of in terms of what I'd end up doing, projects I get into, but I mean, what was your like definition of success? I mean, like, oh my God, if we don't make it to the record label, it's going to be horrible or yeah. I'm working for a living and I'm playing music. That's great. That's what I want to do. Well, when you, once you get on the, what you think is the next step and right. you don't get to that next step, right? you know, things can fall apart really quickly because then everybody starts pointing fingers at everybody. Right. You're, oh no, we got to, we changed members here. Let's, we got to do this or that. And right. Right. There's something wrong with us or, you know, it's just, if, if, if you don't have the right stuff for right. weathering that stuff, then, you know, then you have, you got a small chance or none of doing anything after right. that. So. Which kind of leads to, you left the band, it kind of yeah. went through a membership change a couple times. Yep, they got rid of me in uh, 87, right? something like that, 86, 87. And uh, they found somebody that was taller and skinnier. Right, <laughs> right. And it didn't work out there either, so I mean, it's not like... You can just change a member and things right. automatically get better. Well, it seemed to me because I ended up seeing them later, right before mm. they and split up and mm. finished, you know. And that was like when the hard rock thing was oh, really yeah. coming in hard. Oh yeah. And then you got these guys that are <laughs> trying to like capture a little bit of that, but still be what they were, and they weren't either of those nah, two. You know, it, that's difficult. I mean, yeah, uh, it's difficult to keep a group together. It's right. just uh, you know one of the magic things that might happen if it happens. Right. You got five guys going yeah. different directions, and yeah. how they end up in the same stage yeah. half the time is oh, the yeah. miracle. <laughs> yeah, and, and if you get through it without hating each other, you're you're right. doing really good. But that that rarely happens. You know, right. there's always some kind of baggage that somebody's not you know right, right. got a hold against you. you know, right. So. So after that, you know, you took a couple of years weren't really doing anything, I think, with music, and then you kind of got into the, what, the Lion Drive cover yeah, band? Yeah, I did a local, you know, just have something to do, some extra money type thing. Yeah, and you had, what, Monster Zero was, like, your kind of little... just did two jobs with that. That was, How did you? That was weird. <laughs> Actually, we played one job at the Village, and that was it, I yeah. think. And another one at a... An yeah. AA conference. Well, I saw. I think we played at the Blue Star one time. Yeah, we I did. That on tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I got into Line Drive. Well, that was Line Drive and Monster Zero. You know, it was the same guys in the band. Right. We right. just changed names for a night. <laughs> That's all. And then I got, uh, I got into Shay's band, Love Those Gods, guys, right. in the early 2000, 2003, I got in that band. Right. And played with him for about five years, and that's all I could take of that. Right. right. And, uh, but in the meantime. Like you know, we the, the sharks got back together as far as reunions. Right. So, so in two thousand ninety nine, two thousand, I think it was was 99. the first like real big Thanksgiving night. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Haven't yeah. been together in ten years. Oh yeah, I was head head rushing there. Yeah, I remember they played the videos on the big screen mm. and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. And then you did that for a while, um, a couple times a year, right? Mm hmm. And then uh, two thousand nine, mm. Sam got sick, mm -hmm. so he was the lead singer. Yeah. Uh, he ended up passing away. Yeah, 30 days after yeah. he was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. Right. Um, and he passed really quick. So, And then the following year, in 2010, we decided to do SAMFest. Right, right, Which right. was to benefit his family. Uh -huh. And his son was going to come up and sing a couple songs. Right. Or so we thought. Yeah. And we we met and discussed what he was going to do. And, he, and we said, well, how many... Well, how many songs you want to do? And he says, well, I'm doing oh. them all. And we thought, what? You can't do them all. Right. You know, and he said, yes, I can. 
That's so right. he said, all right. We said, okay, well, we'll try it at rehearsal, you know. And right. Sure enough, you know, he, he knew all the words. He knew all the voice inflections. He sounds very much like him. He looks like him he half He looks the time him too. in a way, too, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it all worked out that way, too. I mean, you just right. can't can't dream this stuff up. You know? Right. It's like, it's like uh, you know, who would have known that the little kid that was was watching us when we right. were... When he was five years old, would would grow up to, to sing in the band. It was like, right. That makes me feel like I'm a dinosaur. But you know, <laughs> but don't worry, I'm not getting up anytime soon and playing guitar. So, <laughs> okay, that's not promise. Not promise. <laughs> okay. Oh, thank you so much. The Sharks here at the Empire Rock Club, the newly renovated Empire Rock Club. The place is great, man. So do you. So do you. Oh uh, wait, who? All right, Phil Collins finally got here. You got to get down here and meet Phil. You made it. Good to see you, Phil. How was the show tonight? Really good, man, really good. Thank you, man. This is another song that's going to be on our new record. It's called It All Comes Back On You. Didn't 
cry You know I wonder why So, yeah, I think you did, like, one or two shows for benefiting, like, different cancer organizations. Mm -hmm. This one's just kind of a straight-up show. Yeah, I mean, we like having... If we're going to do it, we want to have some fun, and we want to do it right. Right. And we don't want to do a half-butt job, so, you know, we rehearse five or six times, and we we get back into fighting shape, so... Right, right. uh, When we get up there, we don't want to just be sloppy about anything. Right, right, And people appreciate that, because they don't want to see some hacks up there, just geezers up there... (laughs) Right. uh, ...frothing at the mouth, and, and, you know, going, oh, God, this is great, isn't it? Right, right, right. We like to play, you know, professional. Right. Just like we used to. Right. So it works out that way, too. Well, you keep sharp uh, doing... You do a lot of music work at your church, right? Yeah, I play on a worship team, and and uh, that's learning new songs every week, so it's like, uh, it right. keeps you sharp. Yes, it does. Do you get to, are you learning more? Are you teaching others how to play, or? No, I'm a horrible teacher. <laughs> I, you know, I'm the old school guy, you know, that if, if you're gonna learn how to do something, right? you know, take it apart, put it back together. Right, right, you right, know, right. if you wanna learn how to play something, an instrument, I mean, sometimes you should, Yes, take lessons. Right. Learn theory of some sort. Have a little direction. Have a little bit of insight into the instrument and music in right. particular. Right. Keys and modes and right, right, right. and and all that kind of stuff and finger work and yeah, you gotta do all that, but it basically comes down to you. Right. Doing it your you know, doing it on your own uh-huh. and figuring stuff out. I mean I mean, I could have went to school to be a, a good carpenter, but you know, <laughs> I didn't want to because it took too much time. Uh, right, right, right. So I, you know, basically learning guitar is the same thing. You, right. You work it and you listen and you, th- you figure it out. And once you figure it out that way, it sticks with you a lot more. You know, then right. you're, you're not like uh, uh, fooling around in the dark. You know? Right. You basically own the stuff right. that way. Okay. Well, uh, are there anything you guys just get together like once a year? You still plan on keeping on on that kind of track? We never say. We always say, let's do something good this year and see what happens. You know, because we we don't know. We don't like to plan too much 
right. ahead of time if it's going to be another show or not. But right. if we do too many of them, I know that it, you go to the well too many times, it'll go dry. Right. So we like them to be special. Yeah. And if they're special, people will treat them like they're special. Right. And if we keep we do more than one or two jobs a year, yeah. then people won't come out. Right. You know, they'll just they all see them next time or whatever. Right. So right. Right. We keep it so that people don't know exactly when. Yeah. We're going to do another one. So yeah. it Keeps it keeps it mysterious I right guess. right right uh i saw just somebody was pa- posting on facebook about the, like the section on the website site that says merchandise available yeah. or, or whatever we like, have big plans <laughs> it's a it's always doug yeah. our drummer is the great idea guy i mean he yeah. has he go we have meetings and he just bursts with ideas about doing this or that yeah and sometimes they come to fruition but yeah. sometimes they don't <laughs> like the website you know yeah. he he rarely gets on the website to do stuff because he's a busy guy. You know? Oh, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, everybody's got a life, so. So people can buy CDs and shirts and stuff at your show, yeah, usually. Yeah. Uh, what's the status of the music? I mean, it's not really on iTunes or anything like that. Is yeah. it, do you guys own the music to do, do that with? We do. But um, nobody in the band has gotten the gumption up to do anything about that uh, part selling our music online which I'm sure it's going to happen sometime but yeah. you know it's it's like um, you know who's going to do it right who's so, going to manage it you know so it usually comes back to me because <laughs> like we have our meetings and Doug right. will say well you know how about getting our music on iTunes yeah. well Steve how about you look into that right. you know it's right. like I already do 90% of the planning of the shows right, right. so I mean I get I get uh, I get a little tired of doing everything right. so if I get around to it maybe it will yeah. you know what the heck. Well, I've got the incoherence music on iTunes I think it cost me 60 bucks a year oh does it so it's not good you want to handle terrible. the sharks I might, I might handle sharks? the sharks or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could shovel that on yeah, you yeah, there you go alright well looking forward to the show on Saturday yeah. night and uh, thanks for sitting down yeah no problem
So that was the Sharks, our featured band this week on the Hoot Nanny Down the Hall Music Podcast. Thanks for uh, listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to thank my father, Steve Wedig, otherwise known as Steve Zero, the lead guitarist for the Sharks. Ian Rawhauser singing and playing guitar in place of his father, Sam Luger, who passed away in 2009. Uh, Shay Quinn singing and playing bass. Uh, his band is the Love Gods. They play around Harrisburg, York, and Lancaster. Uh, Marco Showers, uh, keyboardist, and Doug Phillips, the drummer. Uh, hopefully we get to hang out with those guys sometime down the road. Uh, I want to thank Mr. Smoker for hopping podcasts from the Sailing Podcast, coming over to the Music Podcast, hanging out and doing a little little music talk. Uh, my cousin Wayne Terry up from Florida checked out the show, uh, talking about how he played drums when we were kids uh, to all the Sharks albums. Uh, my better half, Nora Segel, for chiming in on the uh, the 8-track tape phenomenon. Uh, I want to thank everybody down at the Village. Uh, Matt Ritter, uh, DJ Niedermeyer, he uh, DJed the show. We got a couple words with him after the show. You'll hear at the end here. Um, there's some video out there on YouTube. Um, Mr. D. Birdman, B-U-R-D-M-A-N. A uh, bunch of about six videos from the show. I used uh, the audio off of one of them for uh, the track Object of My Fascination. So big thanks to him. Uh, definitely hope to uh, catch up with you here again soon on the podcast uh, with some new content. You can find me at The Escape Pods, all one word on Twitter, or jeffrey.wedding at gmail.com. Uh, again, thanks for listening and hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening to the Hootenanny Down the Hall music podcast from theescapepods.com. So what'd you think? Loved it. Oh my God, so many originals. So many originals I never heard before, actually. Right. And they're ones I've heard before, but not since 1985, you know what I mean? Right, right. You're, you're a little older than I am. Keep on... Their last show before the breakup. Right, right, right. I had not turned 21 yet. Oh, wow. So my first shark show was right. their first reunion show, Thanksgiving night right. here at the Village. Right, right. And I missed their originals because I was working. Right, I right, got right, here right. after work, and, and they... their covers blew me away. I'm like, right, who right, right. is this band right. that does Red Skies? Right, And right, She right. Sells Sanctuary. Right, right, right. And then right. I got the back of the history and, right, and, right, right. and all that. And the rest, as they say, is history. It's history, right, right, right. And that was a great, you know, when they got back the first time that, you know, they were just amazing. It was amazing. I could not believe it. I was like, damn it, another thing that sucks about being born late 1970. (laughs) Right, right, Another band in the so-called glory days I missed. Well, I'm the same age as you. I've I've made up for lost time very well, I think. right. I just happened to catch all the all-ages shows when I was a kid. That's all, you know what I mean? Ah, yeah. I, was, I yep. didn't even live here yet for the all-ages. Right, right. Hey, guys, Merry Christmas. Hi, Sam. Hey. Hey, Great. Can I crack you one? Sure. Hey, I was thinking. Let's sing. Bells on Bob Tell Ring. Make-